0: Infirmary Media.
1: People engage, to stop a Jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade
2: versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love.
3: Jewel in
4: decades.
2: Who culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal combat with David Gray. Fan ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love.
3: Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. It's the Adult Audio Retro Game Show, where the 80s and 90s. Do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to another episode of Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, dueling with cartoons of 1994. It's me, myself, Mark James. I took an ass whipping last week, and I'm back for more.
2: It was close.
3: And this week in the 80s corner, making his Dueling Decades debut with cartoons of 1988. It's Sean, the host of the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast.
4: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for having me on. This is great.
3: As always, here on Dueling Decades, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. Please rise for our judge this week, back with a vengeance. It's Carlos from the Be Kind and Rewind Podcast.
1: Greetings, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me on here. I'm here to pass judgment and not lose, so I'm excited.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and of course, hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Now, duelers, get your bowl cereal and your Pop-Tarts ready. It's time to play... Dueling Decades! All right, over to Judge Carlos for the official toss-off.
1: All right, we have our chapstick here, so we're going to go label as heads, barcode as tails. Sean, what are you going to pick? I'm going to pick barcode. All right, give it a flip. We have barcode.
3: (laughs)
4: Oh. 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 (laughs) The rookie
3: gets to go first.
4: Oh, man. All right. Uh, I'm interested in doing hot products. All righty. So I had two picks for for hot products. Now for the first one, uh, go go with me on a little journey because I feel that this is something that was essential for anybody who was growing up in the 80s. And this is something that inspired a lot of the ideas that would then be possibly adapted into this format. I'm talking about video games just in general for 1988 We had a lot of games that would be adapted to cartoons and a lot of cartoons that would eventually be adapted into video games. Games that came out in 1988 just in general, Double Dragon, adapted to a cartoon. Castlevania, eventually adapted to a cartoon. Gogol 13, Ghostbusters, Rambo. Super Mario 2, Superman, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Zelda 2. So a lot of things that kind of cross-pollinated in terms of being in video games as well as also cartoons. So a lot of points of crossover that we had. But really, my ultimate hot product pick that we had for this was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. Uh, Now, you might be saying to yourself, hey, Sean, Ninja Turtles came out in December of 87. Yeah, they did. But Playmates... The producers of those toys insisted that the company actually make the cartoon series first because they weren't willing to actually place a bet on a short-lived comic book series to put all that money. So when they initiated development, they had Jerry Sachs, who was doing all the advertisement work, and they had a creative team uh, that included Mirakami Wolf Swenson, who actually did uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. And this was headed uh, by award-winning animator Fred Wolf and Playmates. In fact, Playmates was so involved in the production of these toys that they they served as an associate producer and contributing writer. So all of those phrases that you heard, like heroes in a half shell and turtle power, those came from Playmates when they were helping to produce these toys. And this is the classic four turtles that we had, April O'Neil, Splinter, and Bebop Rocksteady, uh, a foot soldier, and Shredder. But the crazy thing is that they didn't stop there. In fact, during 88, they even released an entire series of vehicles. So the Rocket Skateboard or the Cheapskate, the Turtle Blimp, and of course, the vehicle that they all drove around in, the Party Wagon. And I think the thing that I always loved about all of these toys that I think was so fun about this era of cartoons and kind of toy merchandise was that they had pizza points that were on the reverse side of the package that you could clip. Yeah. Yeah. And that you could redeem for VHS tapes, they had posters, everything. So these original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they ended up lasting for around 10 years, like for that initial run that they have, and they had just so many toys that started off in 1988 and built that legacy. Plus, they're going to feature everything for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the third season of Toys That Made Us Too. Damn. Wow.
2: Either Sean has a really stacked hand, or (laughs) he wanted to start with the gusto from round one, which we don't normally get.
4: You know, honestly, though, from like the past five years, I feel like I've been building and montage working out to get ready for this particular episode. (laughs) So I'm just over the moon that you guys invited me in the first place.
3: Sean's the guy at the party (laughs) that walks in the door and immediately whips his dick out. (laughs) (laughs)
1: right into the mashed potatoes damn man
2: i'm i'm blown away to see what the second pick is if that's the first pick
4: oh the first pick was just the the cross-pollination for the the video games right oh okay all right yeah do you have one in particular you want to go with probably double dragon double dragon really kind of hit that note of you know they they had a video game that the the impetus for everything that took place was a guy punching a woman in the stomach and then kidnapping her you know to adapt that then in from a video game into then a cartoon they obviously took a lot of changes and directions especially like the idea of like as they would touch swords or they would kind of come together as brothers creating that dragon and so i think that that was probably one of the the craziest cartoons that i've watched recently that just really kind of had that anchor and that tie to a specific video game because they just took so many artistic liberties in terms of actually evolving and changing it and making it way more kid-friendly. All right.
2: Mark, Yo, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm saying you lost this round. And I haven't even heard what you have. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I'm not even judging this. By the way, I'm uh, Nick Mancrush. I'm on the show. I'm just a fly on the wall with this one. Uh, I just want to see what these guys have. But, man, that's...
3: Ooh. Well, we'll go to my first pick. Uh, let's see, 1994, you know, so in 1994, there were two big products that were huge globally, and I'm going to start with the first one, and that was huge over in Japan, that's Neon Genesis Evangelon, now everyone who's a huge fan of that series is like, whoa, 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 everybody knows that that came out in February of 95, well, not necessarily, actually Neon Genesis Evangelon got its start in the February issue of Shonen Ace that came out in December of 1994. That's what kicked off this entire franchise. Now here in the United States it kind of has a cult following. It's not as big as a lot of other things but it's very very significant. is had a significant influence on Japanese culture, and in the 80s and 90s, anime and manga really took a nosedive. This was huge in bringing it back. And if you look at sales figures, in 1994, Neon Genesis Evangelon started. To this date, it has brought in $16.3 billion. Yeah, It is wow. a worldwide huge franchise. Just to put that in comparison, I'm going to go to my second pick. He starts off with Ninja Turtles. I think we're going to see a theme developing here on this episode with my picks. 1994 hot products, the biggest selling thing, the merchandising for a little known movie that Disney put out called The Lion King. Nice. Toys R Us had more than 200 Lion King related products, jungle displays, Legos. I mean, you name it, action figures. Mattel spokeswoman Donna Gibbs says that the toy giant manufacturer projects worldwide revenue from its Disney products to reach 400 million in 1994 alone. That's up from 330 million last year. The merchandising market took a huge jump when Lion King came out. And to put that in perspective, that's 13.8 billion lifetime for the Lion King franchise. Neon Genesis Evangelon, 16.3 billion for the franchise. And we know how big the Lion King is. So that's where I'm going to start it off with Hut Products, the genesis of Neon Genesis Evangelion, and all the shit sold from Lion King.
2: Oh, God. (laughs) I just want to throw this out there before uh, uh, Carlos makes any uh, picks on this one. I'm glad that Carlos is the judge on this, and I'm glad that uh, on Infirmary we're actually very, very lucky to have a bunch of people that have a nostalgia background because when it comes to (laughs) cartoons... I don't know as much, and that first pick that you just said, I didn't even know what fucking language you were speaking. So, oh my god, yeah, that's oh. not my thing
4: <laughs> at
0: Nick,
2: all. You're killing me. You're killing me. So, so I'm glad that I'm just watching this one. I'm glad that Carlos is here. I'm glad that you're here. So take it away, man. What do you have?
1: All right, these are some interesting picks here. So starting off with eighty-eight, uh, Sean. You know your picks of the the video games, the the crossover. The movie crossover, so like you said, like working with the Double Dragon, and then we have like, you know, Castlevania and stuff now. You know, I I think it's got some significance for sure. Uh, But the bigger one definitely was the TMNT toys because I definitely remember having. All the all the toys, you know, just seeing constant release of a new Hawaiian Ninja Turtle or the Caribbean Ninja Turtle or a Detective Ninja Turtle. So like they knew what they were doing, so they're just pumping out these toys. So yeah, they were everywhere. Hell, I still look for certain action figures of the TMNT. So I know that definitely was a huge phenomenon still to this day. So that one was a pretty big one. But uh, Mark, you know, he had some pretty good. Uh, arguments i mean i'm i'm with the uh, nick neon genesis uh, Evangelion. honestly no idea but sounds awesome it sounds awesome, thumbs up, though. <laughs> oh, it sounds awesome. <laughs> wow no idea wow. i'm not an anime guy yeah i'm just not an anime guy um but the cult following i mean the, the numbers he threw out mark you know that those are pretty staggering numbers 16 billion overall that's yeah. that's pretty significant that's i mean that's i would say more than a cult following but since i don't know maybe yeah you're right this It's a got cult that.
3: following in the united states yeah in japan it's a phenomenon it's the biggest yeah. thing since yeah, it
1: sounds like a way of life there with
2: 16.3 billion yeah. Yeah. yeah And it's been rebooted now like three separate times i would I actually mean, it, like it, to crazy. know for a comparison sake if i don't know sean if you know this do you know what the lifetime sales figures of teenage mutant Ninja turtles are because that I would really that. Oh, yeah, would say something to, something Wait, to how much, how
4: much did Mark say? He was said a, 16.3 billion. Uh, so you said
3: 16.3? 16.3 billion uh, for Neon Genesis Evangelion Lion King at 13.6.
4: Okay, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was 16.4. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just trying to prices right you out of this $1. <laughs> <laughs> $1.
1: <laughs> you had me write it down too i was writing that, that damn price
2: too i i really <laughs> wish you had that because i'm looking for it
4: and it's it's not very easy to find that uh, and i think the challenge is just because uh, nick they, they've just they've redone so many different iterations of it to 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 take a look at just that one particular product line is really hard because it's you know it's spanned now what like three decades well and i think right.
3: the rights has changed hands a few times right so you're talking about different people that own the rights to different aspects of exactly.
2: That's so. enormous here, though. Like teenage I mean, it oh, had yeah. reboot movies, and which are fucking terrible. But we had the reboot movies. The toys have been out forever. Even like when they didn't have the movies out, the toys were still around. Kids still knew what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were.
1: Well, it's tough. Well, let me talk about the Lion King real quick. So, yeah, you say the Lion King has 13.6 billion, which is huge because they were like in happy meal toys like you saw them everywhere like you said they got the the, the huge batman you know marketing trip treatment but my only argument against that was like Lion King was a phenomenon but the toys really didn't like have that la- long lasting effect like the ninja turtles did like people were still sought after for tmnt but that number that 13.6 billion is is still significant that's a
3: lot of simba plushies yeah yeah
1: so just because (laughs) i didn't buy simbas doesn't mean they weren't being bought is basically i guess what it comes down to i was more into tmt so honestly you know sean you started out hot but mark you came in strong with the numbers with the neon genesis enlightened me with the cult phenomenon going on and with the numbers backing lion king i think i have to give this one to mark
3: oh respect respect I nice. actually,
2: I that's where I was leaning as well. If I was wow. going to do it, I'm just shocked. because I'm pairing that, uh, what is it called again? Like, what is it called? The anime thing?
3: Neon Genesis Evangelion. Right. It mm-hmm.
2: sounds awesome, but it's way too many words for me. But like that <laughs> compared to Double Dare, I think, or Double Dare, Double, Double Dragon. Dragon. <laughs> if it was Double Dare, I think we'd have a whole different round. A little different, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm kind of washing out uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Lion King, and I'm putting those two together. And that number is staggering. Yeah, you know, to me. Even I didn't I know, know that know it, it
3: sold that much, I didn't realize it sold that much either. And then I looked up the the, the numbers, and I couldn't believe it. That's you. That's crazy, man. I only
1: recognize it from yeah, the the Happy Meal merchandise stuff like that. Not buying it from you know Disney stores and stuff like that.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. It's, it was no, everywhere. Hey,
1: well earned, Mark. Well earned. All right. Well, yeah. Taking it down one point.
3: All right. Mm-hmm. So the next category. Let's go to news. Let's go to Cartoon News. All right, let's do it. All right, I'm going to start off with the creation of Cartoon Network Studios. It started in October 21st, 1994, and what Cartoon Network Studios was really responsible for was creating original content for Cartoon Network. They started off with doing What a Cartoon, and then had a spin-off of that called Dexter's Laboratory and, of course, Johnny Bravo, Powerpuff Girls. It all started with the creation in Burbank, California, October 21st, 1994, of Cartoon Network Studios. My second pick, I'm going to go back a couple episodes. You remember when we had an episode we talked about how we don't always like to pull out a death for news unless it's significant, and we made this argument that Bob Marley was kind of worth it? Yeah. I got another situation like that. February 6th, 1994, we lost Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby is an American comic book artist and is the greatest comic book artist of all time. His artwork has been incredibly influential throughout all forms of media. Director James Cameron even said that Jack Kirby inspired the look of all of his alien films, that he sat down and he looked at all of his favorite comics, and the artwork of Jack Kirby inspired him to create all of aliens and the looks and feels. Uh, Jack Kirby would work alongside Stan Lee and create some of the most iconic comic book characters of all time. His notable works include Captain America, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Thor, The Avengers, Iron Man, Hulk, Black Panther. How all of these characters look today, thanks to Jack Kirby. And unfortunately, we lost him in 94.
2: Damn. Mark just came out with the relevance. Fucking hammer
4: right there. Yeah. Pretty solid
3: one. Jack Kirby's huge, you know. If you're a comic book fan, losing Jack Kirby is the equivalent of losing John Lennon if you're a music fan. That's what I got for news. And that on a somber note, over to you, Sean. What do you got, man? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm i going to see your creation of a studio uh, with the other creation of another studio that happened in ni- or 1988 with another studio that happened in 1988. Uh, right in the heart of Hollywood, there were a couple people by the name of John Craig Feluci and Bob Camp who happened to be getting together to create the animation studio Spumco. Uh. Spumco that would then end up creating, as we all know, Ren and Stimpy right. for the Sunday morning Nicktoons block, the OG along with Doug and Rugrats that they would create. But they would also create a lot of other notable com- or videos and work, uh, such as the best animated uh, short for Bjork's "I Miss You" music video that ended up uh, winning an Annie Award. A lot of stuff that they had that was there, and even just Bob Camp in general, you have to think about just sort of the the notoriety that he has in terms of you know the impact that he made. SpongeBob SquarePants, Thundercats, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, GI Joe, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, so many cartoons, such a, an imaginative, creative team to to come out, and really kind of as an underdog to come out swinging with a cartoon like Ren and Stimpy that was so weird, so off the wall, and so sporadic in terms of its airing that at points in time, even Nickelodeon itself is like, I don't know that we really want to air this right now. <laughs> This might be too weird, even for kids, to to really get behind, and so I feel that Spumco just kind of being a part of that phenomena of those Nicktoons of that original Nicktoons era and the people who were involved in it is just one of those things that I know that I will definitely always remember. You know, seeing that Spumco logo at the end of any Ren and Stimpy kind of always brings me back.
3: Nice,
2: that's a great pick. But for continuity's sake and, and to have this in there because Mike totally did not do this on the last episode so i'm throwing it on you right now i'll give you an extra point even though i'm not judging this
4: <laughs> if you sing happy happy joy joy oh man uh well it definitely starts out with uh you know uh him like screaming at himself saying like so, you think- hey everybody <laughs> hey everybody <laughs> uh yeah you know what i can't all I right can't just do it. the chorus just do the chorus Oh, just the happy, 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 joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, Happy. joy. joy. And I just have to be smashing a hammer into my head the entire time as I wear that helmet.
3: That is the least happy, happy, joy, joy I have ever heard. (laughs) That was like the
4: Quaaludes version of happy, happy, joy, joy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's, it's creepy. Whenever you sit down and actually think about what's in that song and just the visuals behind it, it's it's the opposite of the name.
2: How yeah, about
4: so. I want to be a monkey? I actually don't know that one.
0: Ah,
2: I want to be a monkey, monkey, a monkey, monkey, monkey. monkey, monkey. monkey. I want to be your monkey. You <laughs> could be a monkey too. A great
3: My two song. favorite are always the classics: "Log" and "Shaven yeah. Yak." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> "Log"
4: is great. Stare into my nipples of the future. You got to clench tenaciously to his buttocks.
3: Matter of fact, in high school, I uh, I had a friend of mine who was a really good artist. I had him come over and paint an entire wall of my room as a mural of Ren and Stimpy playing basketball. (laughs) Stimpy was dunking the basketball as the hoop was shattering. He was wearing a Shaquille O'Neal jersey. Ren was underneath wearing a Dennis Rodman San Antonio Spurs jersey. And I wow. had this all painted on my wall. It was really cool.
1: Do you have a picture of this wall I, of any sort? I
3: wish I had a picture of it, but uh, when we moved out of the house, my fucking parents painted over the mural. Ugh
4: It's tough. It's yeah. Terrible. Well, let me let me jump in with my my second uh my second pick for, for news. Uh January January tenth on a on a little show called the uh, the Tracy Ullman Show. Oh this has come
2: up before.
4: Yeah. Over a uh, the year. Tracy ago. Ullman Show. Uh, We had the 19th short of The Simpsons that actually premiered uh, on the Tracy Ullman show. And this was notable for one main reason, because this is a character that we all know and we all love uh, and is memed out the ass all the time, Grandpa. This introduces Abraham Jebediah Abe Simpson II uh, into this actual episode in a short that was entitled Grandpa and the Kids which is essentially grandpa sitting in the the room in Springfield, in their their actual living room, and Homer kind of coaxing all the kids to come in and sit around and kind of listen to him. And it's just, it's your first introduction to this character, uh, you know, on January 10th, 1988 on the Tracy Ullman show. And I just think that, you know, in terms of new and noteworthy for something that would then end up creating one of the longest running television shows that we have being The Simpsons. Uh, you know kind of kick off and introduce such an iconic character that we have so my two picks Spumko and the introduction on the Tracy Ullman show of Grandpa Simpson
3: wow nice
4: what did you have again Mark I totally forgot
3: now
2: (laughs) Jack Kirby dying oh yeah Jack (laughs) God damn it
3: and uh, the creation of Cartoon Network Studios
2: Mark just gave us a Misery, Day. I
0: hate that game. <laughs>
3: All right. Over to Judge Carlos for the ruling for the second round. Yeah,
1: again, guys uh, aren't making this easy. But uh, so, Mark, starting off with yours, you know, the creation of Cartoon Network, definitely huge because Cartoon Network is still relevant, still pumping out shows, memorable shows. Uh, you know, they're pumping out their classics like you talk about, the Powerpuff Girls and some of the other ones. And I definitely got, had my fair share of Cartoon Network. So uh, the creation of that is definitely significant. Jack Kirby, like you said, among most comic book uh, fans, that's like huge an unsung hero because he didn't get the, quite the credit he deserved when it came to, you know, when it came to the uh, um, creation of some of the characters. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if it had the commercial overall global significance, but definitely had the significance within like the fan base of comics for sure. Right.
3: Just to reiterate, I just want to get it right. Cause I know there's going to be a lot of fanboys on the internet who are going to be screaming about this one. What my pick was, was the creation of cartoon network studios, cartoon network itself, the TV, channel itself launched in 92 but this was the animation studio where they created all the original programming okay
1: okay my bad my bad corrected redacted (laughs) um but going going over to the creation of spunko you know ren and Stimpy, definitely a significant show that i enjoyed watching uh you know one of those mom and dad wouldn't let you watch so you had to sneak it in uh you talked about uh spongebob squarepants was that part of them as well
4: uh, Bob uh, Bob Camp. Okay, was one of the uh, creators behind the Spunko Studios. Yeah, along with another Kirk huge Falucian.
1: phenomenal yeah. show phenomenon. You know, it was a great show and it was a phenomenon as well. Um, so I think you know the creation of Spunko definitely had uh, a pretty solid impact. And then the Tracy Ullman show. Uh, I remember watching that show. I remember you know watching her and other stuff. But I do remember the the big reference was the Simpsons got their start on this, and it is a very you know crude raw. Uh, short of the of the Simpsons but it is The Simpsons and it's the creation of them and there's the longest running animated show or show of all time at this point um so I think I think with those two combined I I think they're going to have they're going to have to take the point on this one
3: Wow nice
1: wow. Yeah all right Yeah Keeping this Thank one you. close I know Oof. so this was another one pointer
2: right Yep there's another one point round yeah that was tight Now let me ask you guys this you're you're two points in right now do you think what you have left, you, you pick things in the right order? Because that's a big part of this game. Yeah. If you don't pick it in the right order and you screw up what you put in front, you could really like just ruin your... Just from the beginning on, you'll ruin the entire gamut of your picks. Do you think that's happening or do you think you guys are like on pace?
3: Nah, man, I'm good. Yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, damn! This is gonna be. I,
2: I feel for Carlos. This is gonna be hard because last week was hard for me, and this one just listening, the picks are
3: a lot closer. Yeah, up.
1: I I'm uh, I'm having a tough time. So I mean,
3: you guys are doing a great job. Yeah. All right, Sean, over to you. Where are we gonna go for round three?
4: Uh, let's go to let's do music. All right. You know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't mention and I at least didn't say that in 1988. Uh, Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli released *My Neighbor Totoro*. Um, obviously, just a very important film. But one of the things that we really don't get enough opportunity to talk about is Joe Hisashi, who was actually working on the soundtrack for *My Neighbor Totoro*. If you were to draw a comparison, I guess you would say that Miyazaki and uh, and Hisashi. In Japan, are sort of like the United States's uh, uh, Steven Spielberg and John Williams. Yeah. In terms of what they had, he Hisashi worked on number of different movies that they had for Studio Ghibli, creating just really innocent, inspiring, magical uh, music all the time that really kind of created the environment and the the surrounding that you had when you were a part of these movies. And if you always ever wondered like why am I suddenly kind of like tearing up at this moment in this movie? Like, why is this getting to me? It's Hisashi with sort of the, with this music, with this background that really leads to a lot of the, the critical and universal acclaim that they have for all of these movies. And in 1988, it just happened to be my neighbor Totoro. Now for my second pick, I'm going to need some help on this. Can I get can I get a little bit of an interactive portion on this? And if I if I throw this out and say, "Hey guys, can you can you help me complete this?" Because I'm going for a cartoon theme song right now. And I think that this is culturally relevant because I don't think there's anybody that I can say the following phrase to who won't complete this. So, here we go. <laughs> Denver the last dinosaur. Denver the last dinosaur.
3: Y- you lost me. Sorry. Yeah. he's my yeah. friend and
1: a whole lot more.
4: Carlos has Car- got it perfect.
3: Yeah. Bullshit. Carlos only <laughs> knows this because he fucking lives in Denver, man.
1: It is our theme yeah. song of the city.
3: Yes.
2: <laughs> in in my defense, with cartoons, I grew up on the Man Crush Three, which was Friday the Thirteenth, Grease, and Airplane on RCA discs. Starting at the age of five. My parents got me started early on that shit. They were, uh, I don't know, you might you might want to call them degenerates for doing that. But I did not get into anything other than like G.I. Joe, Transformers, like, you know, GoBots, because that's what they bought me. You know, He-Man and stuff like that. So when you guys are throwing these things out there,
3: I might not know them. Gladiator Films.
4: No, no, no. I, I feel like it's one of those things. That, you know,
2: <laughs>
4: I'm glad that at least one person, and, and there's no there's no shame behind that. I'm glad that Carlos at least knew and was able to complete this. I think that it's relevant and it's interesting to note because uh, American, a uh, French animated series that they had that came out during this time, this was in that late 80s all the way up until, I guess, 93 when Jurassic Park came out, sort of kid dinosaur craze that they had. And for me... I I kinda hit a sweet spot for me. Uh anytime I'd go to a museum, anytime I got a book, I always wanted to be a paleontologist. Dinosaurs were a huge thing. And so uh being able to see that as a dinosaur on a skateboard, and he just inevitably did kick flips into my heart and I loved him. And so <laughs> You know, seeing Denver in in sort of a a place like this, I feel like it's very challenging to kind of say that line out to somebody who grew up with a lot of those dino crazy cartoons that you had in the late 80s without them completely transporting them back when you say that line and have them complete it. Did
2: you ever want to be William, cat and baby? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's
3: important.
4: (laughs) I don't I don't think so. (laughs) Correct answer. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody wants to be
3: william cat and baby
4: nobody wants that. william cat didn't want to be william cat and baby after talking. <laughs> yeah. oh man so yeah my two picks my neighbor totoro soundtrack and the denver the last dinosaur theme song from denver the last dinosaur which premiered in 1988
3: itself too wow all right i also have a soundtrack and a theme song so let me start off with the theme song. In 1994, we had a uh, animated cartoon series premiere that still to this day is huge. And that was called Spider-Man the Animated Series. People love this show. Still to this day credited as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, there is some argue which series is better. People prefer some, some of the, the later ones, but a lot of people prefer the 94 one of which was the better Spider-Man show. Well, the 1994 one had one of the most rockin' theme songs ever, and that's because it was done by none other than Joe Perry from Aerosmith. It was just a rockin', upbeat tune, and the vocals for it sounded like computer-generated talking over it. Nice little guitar riff to it. At the time, you know, Fox had that X-Men series that had come out a few years before, That had an upbeat tempo, so it kind of seemed like a theme to go to these rock-based cartoon intros. So they got Joe Perry from Aerosmith to lay down the tracks for this one.
2: It actually was a couple years afterwards, but I wish, and then when you first said it, I thought you were going to say Ramon Spider-Man.
3: No, see, and that's the thing. With this one, John Semper Jr. originally wanted to use the theme song from the 67 Spider-Man series. But the rights weren't available for it. So they had to write a whole new song and they brought in Joe Perry. Damn. The lyrics for this one were really creative Spider Man, Spider Man, radioactive Spider Man. Spider Man, (laughs) Spider Man, radioactive Spider Man. Spider Blood, Blood. Spider Blood, radioactive Spider Blood. Spider Blood, Spider Blood, radioactive Spider Blood. Spider Blood, blood, spider Spider Blood, radioactive Spider Blood. And repeat.
4: What do you think he Mm. when he cashed that check? What do you think he? What do you think he's he said? Like, man, I really, I really earned this paycheck. You know how much coke I get by with this?
3: (laughs) No, man, he he walked in. He's like, I'll tell you what, man, we can make this song as long and as elaborate as you want. You get six words.
4: That's.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even know if it's his voice on it because it's like a computer generated voice.
4: Yeah, it's like they use a vocoder the entire time because it's like, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Right. Like, just over and over <laughs>
3: again.
2: That was better than your happy, happy, joy, joy, by the way. That <laughs> <It> was.
3: <laughs> now, wait, wait. Do do happy, happy, joy, joy in the Spiderman robotic voice.
4: and i'm gonna be laughing all the way to the bank with this one guys you get six words oh
3: fuck i'm gonna lose this round now (laughs) all right so let's go to my second one and get this piece of shit out of the way because in 1994 we got the soundtrack for the major motion picture the lion king and of course that had the classic circle of life i can't just wait to be king be prepared Yeah, the list just goes on and on for this one. Elton John, of course, was brought in. Everybody's on this. Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin. They brought the whole cast. Rowan Atkinson, James Earl Jones. If I have to tell you how relevant The Lion King is, you have other things to do than be listening to this show. As sad as that is, because I absolutely despise The Lion King. But I know how relevant it is, and it's important to our culture. Over to you, Carlos. What do you got for the ruling on this one? All
1: righty. So, Sean, jumping into yours for uh, the score or soundtrack, My Neighbor uh, Neighbor Totoro Hishashi, uh, you made it sound like a wonderful score. I've never heard (laughs) anything, any word you said in that entire sentence, but it sounded beautiful.
4: I mean that's that's the mark of a of a good composer is that you have no idea that they're even there and you just you feel feelings. You painted a great picture,
1: but I, I have no nothing to nothing to compare to there. But the Denver the Last Dinosaur though, I do because I have sung that theme song over and over in my life uh too many times um without nice. anybody getting the reference. So I feel your pain. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh man, nobody knows." Okay. It's like your Don't Come song. <laughs> like I
2: don't even know how the song goes, so I can't sing it, but it's like his Xavier McDaniel.
3: (laughs) Yes. I was just going to say, I don't have a song. I just picture Xavier McDaniel.
1: Well, Mark, you made it easy to with Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man theme song. Joe Perry. You know, when you see uh, credits for that, I mean, I bet it's a little off-putting, but Joe Perry is Joe Perry, and Aerosmith was just as awesome at that point in time when uh, the Spider-Man anime series comes out. It wasn't the best theme song, but it's definitely up there. The Lion King, like you said, the relevancy is huge. They're about to release the, uh, the new movie here pretty soon. Uh, the Lion King soundtrack, even as much as you don't like it, I loved it. That was my jam. I was rocking that cassette. I was getting the CD. I was singing. I still sing Be Prepared randomly throughout some days. Uh, Circle of Life. Everyone still tries to do the, the beginning, uh, this Elton John part that he does so perfectly. So it, and it's a goddamn Broadway show. So. Yeah. It's had cultural significance for a long time and still continue at this point. So um, weighing that Spider-Man Lion King versus Dendro last dinosaur and my neighbor Totoro. I got to give this one to Mark.
3: All righty. So let's do we go TV or do we go movies for the next round? You know what? Let's just go to movies. Start off the two point rounds here.
1: Two point here. Okay.
3: All right. So for my first one, I don't even have to talk about this much because we've talked about it all night. 1994's The Lion King by Disney.
2: Oh, man. It, Beating yeah. a dead horse. Jeez. Being a dead lion.
3: You know what? <laughs> if you look at 94 in animation, that's how big The Lion King was. It was 1994 animation. It was everywhere. The gross in the United States, $312 million worldwide gross. Just a cub here, short of a billion dollars just for the movie itself, not counting the merchandising. So it speaks for itself. The Lion King. My second is a, a movie that a lot of people just either a huge fan of it, or you're just not. And that's 1994's the page master starring Macaulay Culkin. Oh, wow. A cowardly boy who buries himself in ancient statistics enters a library to escape a storm, only to be transformed into an animated illustration by the page master. He has to work through obstacles from classic books to return to real life. Is
2: this like a porn parody?
3: Oh, no. It could be, though. Well, you said said it was
2: Macaulay Culkin was in it. Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) Oh, you said said Macaulay Culkin. Nicole Cochran. Nicola Cochran. <laughs> There's an L there. <laughs> Come on.
3: He's in it. And of course, Christopher Lloyd, Patrick Stewart, Egg Begley Jr., who was in everything in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the legendary voice of Frank Welker, who is the voice of all cartoons, really. Leonard Nimoy. And of course, Whoopi Goldberg, who did every animated movie in 1994. So there you have it. There's my movies rounds. The Lion King and the Pagemaster.
2: Hmm. All right, Sean, what do you have? All
3: right, let's get into it. I'm so, I'm
2: so tired hearing Lion King. That <laughs> oh,
3: trust like, me, no one's more tired of it than me.
4: Oh man, because my first thing was the Lion King. <laughs> 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 Son of a bitch. Right. Uh, no, I wanna wanna go back to uh, middle of July, 1988, and talk about a a movie. Uh, That is, weirdly enough, it's set in this year, in 2019, in a dystopian version of 2019. You might be trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Akira. Oh, Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Talking about the movie Akira. If you're not familiar, Dystopian 2019. It tells the story of Shotaro Kaneda. He's the leader of a local gang uh, of bikers whose childhood friend, Tetsuo, acquires incredible telekinetic abilities uh, after a motorcycle accident, eventually threatening the entire military complex amid chaos and a rebellion throughout all of the sprawling metropolis of Neo-Tokyo. Akira is widely regarded as one of the greatest animated movies of all time, and it prompted the increase in popularity for anime in the United States. And so this is really something that it it gave viewers the opportunity to see what Japanese animation was all about. It, it enabled them to see this and really kind of understand this in a, in a new light where suddenly they're saying, you know, this is an adult cartoon. Yeah. Like these, these visuals are incredible. Uh, you had Katsuhiro Omoto who, who directed this. It's considered or time had listed. This as one of its top five anime DVDs. Akira made time magazine watch anime. I think yeah. that that's, that's relevant enough. Uh, and it's really just one of the landmark uh, animes just in that whole cyberpunk genre.
3: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable that you were able to pick this because Akira and Neon Genesis Evangelion are really responsible for the rebirth of anime for what we have today.
4: Yeah, for sure. Which is why when you brought it up, I was so excited. I mean, these, <laughs> It's one of my favorite series. It's
3: just so weird that they both fall on the two years we have. Hey, exactly. just, to,
2: just to drive that home, the first anime that I ever saw was Akira. And it was when I was a sophomore in 1994 and I got, somebody gave me that and it was like Saigon moon or some shit, something Dracula vamp. I forgot what the fuck the other one was. Vampire Hunter D. Yes. Vampire Hunter D. But Akira was awesome. And I remember seeing it It was like incredible movie. So yeah. Yeah. And that was 94. So that's a really good point you made.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's, it's relevant and it's so important because, you know, not only did, you know, not only was it a breakthrough in terms of just animation, just in general, but it really brought it into the light of adult animation and proving to a global audience that it's not just for kids. And it's also culturally relevant, because we're still fucking talking about it today. In fact, they have a live action version of Akira, which is scheduled to come out in 2021. And so, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things that you can't watch Akira without thinking that you wanted that that incredibly cool capsule leather jacket and to get on the back of that motorcycle and go fight a rival clown gang in the middle of Neo Tokyo. So I'm going to go with my first one as being Akira. And I'm going to also go with uh, something that's a little bit of blended, like a page master. I'm going to see your page master, and I'm going to raise you Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
3: Oh, nice. Yeah,
4: directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, And let's get into numbers. A budget of $50 million dollars. It brought in $329 million. Uh, If you're not familiar with Roger Rabbit, I think, I think, Mark, you probably said it uh, probably best about Lion King. You got other problems than listen to this podcast. Go (laughs) fucking watch. (laughs) Go watch this immediately. Uh, Set in Hollywood in the 1940s where cartoon characters and people live side by side. You have Detective Eddie Valiant. Who's a private detective and he's got to exonerate Roger Rabbit, a tune who has uh, been accused of murdering a wealthy businessman. This has got Bob Hoskin in it. It's got Charles Fleischer as Robert Rabbit and Benny the Cab. Kathleen Turner is the voice of Jessica Rabbit. And you've got Mel Blanc, who voiced Bugs Bunny. Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety, you have an incredible cast of uh, cartoon voice actors that are in this movie that has been unrivaled in anything else. And I know that we've been talking about uh, Lion King just with Disney. This was a Walt Disney purchase. Like they released this under Tombstone Pictures. Uh, You know, just it's been hailed as, you know, just an incredible achievement. It won three Academy Awards. Uh, which is just incredible. I think that this show, just in terms of thinking about the idea of impact and longevity, this, or this movie has inspired an entire decades after it of female cosplayers posing as Jessica Rabbit to the point where you almost have to ask yourself, if you're a cosplayer and you've got an Instagram and you haven't posted a picture of you trying to do a cosplay as Jessica Rabbit, are you really a cosplayer? <laughs> the
3: sad thing with that is that can be really good or
4: really bad. It can be, you know, but <laughs> I'll answer my own question and say, even if you haven't tried it, it's fine. You're still a cosplayer, but you're right. I mean, I think that it's it's one of those incredible things that, like, that iconic look of the long red hair, purple shimmering dress, uh, you know, is just incredible to to see. Um, this This was reviewed so well that Ebert, uh, for Chicago Sun-Times, uh, gave this four out of four stars saying that uh, the type of word of mouth that money can't buy, this movie is not only great entertainment, but it's a breakthrough in craftsmanship. And so for my two picks, I've got Akira and I've got Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Solid.
3: All right, Carlos, yeah. over to you for The Judgment.
1: Mark, starting off strong with The Lion King. Keeping the uh, the theme going, cultural phenomenon like we talked about, three hundred twelve million. You said that was U.S. and then how much almost overall? Almost a billion.
3: Yeah, it was just a cub hair shy of a billion. All right, yeah,
1: huge, huge thing, and of course, still, still very relevant. But then the page master. Which is a you know an underrated Christopher Lloyd and Macaulay Culkin movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Christopher Lloyd this last weekend at Denver Comic Con. I got the hoverboard signed by him. Nice, nice. Yeah, he asked me. He's like, so which one's one of your favorites? And he's like, actually, kind of. Li- I liked you in the uh, Page Master. and that kind of lit him up because he people never mentioned that to him ever. Wow. <laughs> but the Pagemaster was uh, pretty solid. But with Macaulay Culkin, I think this was like post uh, Home Alone, right after Home Alone. Uh, So, like I said, but not too many people know about it. It's more kind of a a cult classic or underrated. But Sean getting into Akira, I'm not a big anime fan, but I know about Akira. I know what this is all about. They're doing a reboot. I think what like Leo's company is doing like a, a reboot or he might even be in it. I don't know. But it's coming back. It's relevant enough that they know that the American audience wants to see it. And like I said, I'm not a big anime, but I know what this is. I've heard of this so much. I, I know the bike that you are talking about, the iconic bike. Uh, I remember seeing it in Ready Player One. I was like, hey, I know that bike. I know that. I, I got that reference, as Captain America would say. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think Akira's definitely got a, a really solid cultural phenomenon that's continuing. And then you get into who framed Roger Rabbit. I totally forgot this came out this year. Of course, fell in love with Roger Rabbit uh, just because of the, an- the, the, the animated and the live version interaction, Christopher Lloyd like you talked about in both movies, back to back Mel Blanc, that's huge I mean, the yeah. the, the man with a million voices we've heard throughout our whole childhood and then the collection of all the animated characters, because we got like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse together Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, so it was so awesome to see them put together and, and like you said, it was successful on top of that, Robert Zemeckis from Back to the Future, $329 million. so just for the Cultural relevance of Akira and Who Framed Roger Rabbit's, you know, just its cultural phenomenon through uh, our generation. It's just a little bit more than the Page Master. I gotta give this one to Sean.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, Thank you. It was Who
1: Framed Roger? I had I had Mark, and then once he came out, for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. It was that was that the one taker. is
3: really big. That's one of the first cartoons that really got that big. That was for adults and kids. Like, there's a lot of jokes just for adults in that movie. I think that. You know, I think I can, you can go back now and rewatch it and still enjoy that as an adult or you can show it to your kids and they're just a lot of that stuff's just going over their head. Mm-hmm. So it has definite staying power, so solid pick.
1: We're at 3-2, Sean, right now.
3: So it comes down to the television round. Sean, do you want to start off or do you want to defer?
4: I, yeah, I'll I'll kick it off. Uh You know, again, I I think the the whole idea and and really kind of what I'm looking at for a lot of these cartoons, because I'm going to go with two dedicated cartoons that premiered in 1988. And when I I say premiered, not just premiered, but like really just kind of continued to push franchises forward for everything that they have. So just going into this, I'm just thinking about the impact and longevity that each one of these had. Uh, just in our own cultural zeitgeist that we have that's out there. And so first one, Garfield and Friends. Garfield and Friends premiered in 1988. Man, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, we had somebody who uh, we recently reviewed this episode on our podcast, Saturday Morning Cartoons, and we had a call-in listener who recommended this saying that, you know, this was a staple of his childhood in his Saturday mornings. The guy was saying that he's 35 years old now, and he still collects all sorts of memorabilia from floor mats to comic books to coffee mugs, everything. And I mean, it's even relevant enough that on Netflix, the show with Tim Robbins, I think you should leave. They have an entire sketch about being in Jim Davis's house and potentially purchasing all of the Garfield memorabilia that's there. It spawned multiple movies uh from that point forward, and it's all been inspired you know, really by the comic strip from Jim Davis. And so on CBS Saturday morning, this premiered September 17th, 1988. It ran until 94. It changed hands multiple times. It's notable because almost every season that it changed hands to different production companies, they changed the theme song to kind of put their own little fingerprint on it. And, you know, it focused a lot on Normal, Odie, John. This even had the individual segment for the and friends portion, which was called US Acres, uh, which Jim Davis was drawing concurrently during that time, not to mention all the live action movies that we've gotten with Garfield. And so I feel like this was one of those things that brought the comic strip into the living room on Saturday mornings for kids to watch and really got them excited about, you know, collecting all that different memorabilia has made an impact for for multiple decades for everybody who watched Garfield and friends.
2: Who wins in a fight, Garfield or Heathcliff? Heathcliff, man. You know what?
4: I'm going to say Heathcliff. Yeah. 100% Heathcliff. Street cat. He's much, He's much scrappier. I feel like Garfield would just back down in oh, a heartbeat. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All right.
3: What do you got for your second pick?
4: Second pick for this, I'm going to go. It's a Transformers cartoon that they had that came out during that time. This is a very weird cartoon called Transformers Super God Master Force. If you're not familiar with the whole Transformers franchise that they have in general, you know, the whole war on Cybertron coming to the planet Earth, uh, Decepticons, you know, Autobots, this epic good versus evil. At some point, there were multiple series that they had that premiered throughout the 80s and very early 90s that kind of had a continuation of some of the efforts that they had that were going on Cybertron. Super God Master Force is bananas because it poses the idea what if there were Transformers that were actually just human? So think about like a human being that could turn into a Transformer. Is this uh, probably, you know, one of the most noteworthy Transformers cartoons that's out there? Absolutely not. But for anybody who's ever watched anything Transformers related, who's ever gone down that rabbit hole of understanding what's been a multi hundreds of billion dollar franchise in terms of not only toys video games, uh, movies that we have, uh, everything that's out there. This is one of those continuations where if you are a fan and if you love Transformers and you see a particular character in Super God Master Force, you're going to be excited about this. I mean, it is such an off-the-wall bananas cartoon to watch and realize that this is actually canon in terms of what they have for Transformers. <laughs> Transformers can just turn into people and integrate into our society like they were your your brother, sister, a member of your family. And so, again, for something just going in terms of longevity and, and interest, I feel like this is one of those rare hidden gems that's a part of a much bigger, bigger story that we have for Transformers in general and just has really kind of spawned and created you know this this multi-billion dollar franchise that we've had that's gone on for decades and decades.
2: God, I wish Canon Films would have bought the rights to that. Yes. Yes. In the late 80s. <laughs> that would have oh, been. my
4: God. That would have been amazing.
2: Man. It would have been a total shit show, but we'd still be watching it. Yeah,
4: oh, Right. Yeah. Easily. So for my two picks for, for television, I'm going to go with Transformers, Super God, Master Force, and Garfield and Friends.
3: Wow. Solid picks. Uh, I can't argue with Garfield and Friends. It's one of my favorite all-time favorite cartoons. I have a nine year old now. I got him hooked on it. It's one of his favorite cartoons. So nice, nice. Hard to argue with that. But you know what? Let's go to my two picks. 1994 saw the debut of two pretty popular cartoon series. September 10th, 1994, we saw the debut of The Tick. Uh, If you're not familiar with The Tick, The Tick is an animated uh, series that was adapted from a very small comic book series, very similar to the aforementioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, both New England-based cartoon creations. The Tick was rebooted in 2001 and is, again, rebooted in 2016 on Amazon. They did three original seasons, and it's just one of those animated cartoons that was done for adults and done for kids. That has garnered a huge cult following, has a lasting legacy to today.
4: I'll, I'll say, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Tick. I, I've I didn't watch it when it was on Fox on Saturday mornings, and I, I had to jump back into it later. It, it's definitely a good one. It's I, so weird.
3: I think that's how most people watch the Tick when right. it was on those original three seasons. Nobody watched it.
4: Not, not enough. Not enough. It
3: got more popular once people watched it more and more and more because it's one of those shows that's just so quotable, and we see that now. I mean, things get so launched into our lexicon from cartoons.
4: Do you just do you find yourself just in weird situations, just screaming "spoon"? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So for my second selection, I was so stoked that I get to talk about this show. It's not often that you get to pick something on this show that it just falls on the right perfect date, and it's just something you really love. So we're going to go to April 15th, 1994, and we saw the very first episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. If you're not familiar with this show, it is a masterpiece. It's a redoing of the old Space Ghost cartoon. Where they took these animation cells, redid them, put new voiceover, and then they had guests come on. And it became a pseudo-mock talk show where Space Ghost was the host of the talk show. You had Zorak as the band leader. Brack would show up every now and then. The first episode, they had the Bee Gees on and Susan Powder. Bob Denver was on in the first season, along with Ashley Judd, Bobcat Goldwaith, and the Ramones appeared on the fifth episode. You also had Scooby-Doo, Weird Al Yankovic, Lee Merriweather, Eartha Kitt, Adam West. It was pop culture in the 90s. So for that fact alone, it's one of my favorite animated cartoons, Space Ghost Coast, Coast to Coast debuting in 1994.
4: I'll say it's interesting because Mark it's, it's the, for the second cartoon, it was something that it came out, but I, I don't, I honestly don't think that space Ghost coast to coast was appreciated during the time that it was actually released. Like, I feel like once adult swim and, and cartoon network kind of like pushed it and included it as a part of like it's late night, then it gained popularity as well. Or at least then people were beginning to watch it more and more.
3: It went on for it's so long. The lasting legacy of space goose. I mean, They had 11 seasons, plus all the specials. They had comedy albums, everything. Space Ghost Coast to Coast was huge. I even argue that Space Ghost Coast to Coast is bigger than the original Space Ghost cartoon. Uh, I would agree. Yeah. So there we go. The Tick and Space Ghost Coast to Coast, 1994. Over to Judge Carlos for the final verdict. All right. We're here to close
1: it out, so jumping into Sean's picks. Garfield and friends, huge pick. I too am a huge fan of Garfield. Uh, I hate Mondays, love me some lasagna, all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> the movies were, you know, I didn't really get into it. It's more of a nostalgia feel, but it's definitely like you said, the comics, the books. I remember re- reading the books in uh, in grade school, so it definitely has and the memorabilia. That's definitely a huge thing. The Garfield telephone, everybody remembers that. Um, yeah. So it just had, it definitely had that pop culture. Um, uh, uh, phenomenon to it uh transformers the super god make uh, master force that one I, don't, I think i tuned out at that point uh humans turning into transformers sounds great uh i might have to check this out but yeah i, I, I agree i think canon should have got this and had chuck norris <laughs> and uh, uh maybe would have gotten van uh, Damme. jesse jesse the body ventura yeah or van dam <laughs> to get in on it so i could definitely see that happening but i didn't see it um so i think it has a little bit less uh culture cultural significance significance but still transformers is a huge brand nonetheless uh mark the uh tick definitely it was one of those shows i didn't watch at the time but it took me a few years to get into it appreciate it uh all the different versions the animated and then the the amazon series the reboots that we've gotten uh and so it's it's a cult following for sure but it's starting to get that more commercial commercial appreciation and then getting over to your Space Ghost, another one that I remember as a young kid turning it on, seeing the Space of Ghost. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch, you know, anything else at that point. Uh, but it took me a little a couple years to appreciate it, you know, go back and start appreciating, like, the, well, you named off all the celebrities that were on there. Yeah, that's where it really plays in. Uh, and he, he didn't know, as a kid, I didn't know that Space Ghost was a, an original. Uh, series that they're kind of spoofing or right. redoing.
3: Yeah, the first time that that came on, and you're flipping through and you go to Cartoon Network and you're like, oh, Space Ghost, old Hannah yeah. Barbera cartoons. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, why is he talking to Denzel Washington? Why is Denzel on this cartoon? You know, just... why
4: is he talking to Tom York of Radiohead? <laughs> what is this? This makes no sense. But what? it was on it so doing? much that
1: it it was on for a reason. Because yeah, it was a popular show for a certain demographic. But it grew as time went on, and yes, it's getting its appreciation now. Which are uh, what you see Space Ghost referenced on Cartoon Network all oh, the yeah. time, or on you go to any t shirt shop, they, there's at least some sort of Cartoon Network uh, or Space Ghost show uh, sure. shirt. So. With that said, with that cultural significance, I'm, I'm, lean, I'm leaning over toward Mark on this one. I think I'm going to hand him the two-pointer on this one
3: for the tick there and for Space Oh, ghost. there we go.
1: Transformers just, just didn't quite have that significance.
3: I avenge last
1: week's loss. He does. He does. Four to three. Sean, you, you put go. up a great
3: fight. there. I was worried about this one, Sean, man. You are a cartoon expert. I lucked out and was able to get the 90s on this one.
4: No, I mean, you know, I've been doing this show for five years, so I feel like I've, uh, I've fucked up and I've squandered five <laughs> years of just dicking around on cartoon shit to not, to not get the, the W. You had some tough
1: topics to go against, so I, I'll hand it to you. You, had, you made this hard, man. Definitely I would
2: say, like, I do agree with Carlos. It was very close, and I think most of the rounds, or actually all the rounds, I think it would have went the same way as him, except maybe that first round, If you have the numbers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that could have
1: changed. That's the only thing I was missing that would have made my decision.
2: Because I did find one stat that they sold. It was a billion dollars between 88 and like 91 or something like that. So God only knows how much they made up to 2019.
4: Yeah, extrapolate that over three decades. Yeah,
1: because I know how huge it is. Is but like when Mark was providing the solid numbers, that's that's really yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drives the uh, the argument right there. Ah, oh, he did it.
3: Yeah, I don't always get into the hardcore numbers when they're that huge and they stick out that much. It's plus,
1: plus Sean, you weren't doing yourself any favors by talking up space ghosts there, and the you gotta you gotta talk it down. I've learned that you gotta <laughs> you
3: gotta manipulate in this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, duelers, if you've missed a past episode. You can always go back on DuelingDecades.com. You can listen to all the past episodes there. Subscribe on CastBox. Subscribe on iTunes. And then you can join the conversation yourself. Cruise on over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades. And you can also join our private group there as well. All right. So I want to thank our guests for this week. Carlos, our judge. Carlos, tell people where they can listen to your show, man.
1: All podcast apps, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, every Thursday, shows are being released. So find us on uh, social media at Beacon Rewind.
3: All right, fresh meat. Tell people where they can listen to your show. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh man, you guys can find Saturday Morning Cartoons podcast. It's Morning with a U. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, um, and you can check us out on Twitter at Morning Tunes, Morning with a U, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Paul Ellis.
3: All right. Thanks a lot, Sean, for coming in tonight. You put up a great fight, man. I was friggin' worried.
4: You put up a great fight, Mark. Thank you.
3: All right. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.
0: This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax, limited time offer. Prices may vary for delivery.